tongue has the power of life and death. That's really been the essence of this entire sermon series uh, for the last four weeks, trying to look at the fact that words matter. They matter in every aspect of our lives, every word that we say. Uh, it, it makes a difference. Um, we have the power to use words to build people up, and we have the power to use words to tear people down. Um, we have been watching over the last four weeks, and I know that some of you are so grateful that my living metaphor will be over at the end of the day, uh, but we have been looking at a living metaphor where I've taken two pots, uh, uh, put the plants in the, the same soil and all of that, and this one we have worked and nurtured and loved and said good things to. Uh, this one has not been quite so fortunate. Uh, and so we can see just visually what the power of our words do to people. And, and, and again, I say to you that if the end result of this plant is a struggle for you, it should bother us. Because that's what our words do when we use words that tear people down in the human spirit. I shared with you last week that Reuben, one of our college-age students, had painted a, a painting. And so I brought it in today so that you could see this, this passage in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's what we're talking about today. That's what we've been talking about for the past four weeks. How many of you think at this point in time you know that Bible verse? Anybody? We got a couple people raising their hands. A few people tentatively, don't really want to claim it, uh, but how many of you know the essence of it? All right, so we're beginning to get a little bit, of, don't, let, don't let that go away, because the scripture tells us that we need to, to put the words into our heart, we need to write them on our hearts so that we can remember, trust me, I made that joke at the beginning of the service, we were sitting there watching the game yesterday, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and Claire said something to me, and I said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Because there are times in our lives where we, we say words and we don't think about the power that they have, but they have power in every aspect of our lives. It's a very powerful verse. Now, today what I want us to do is to, to stop and to, to look at it from a different direction. So I, I want to get you to think about the third commandment. The third commandment in Scripture comes in Exodus 20, verse 7. Look at what it says. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, some of you probably know that as you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, you were probably taught that. Parents, grandparents, somebody kind of helped convey that message to you, and my hope is that you have begun to teach that to your children and your grandchildren. Um, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. But what does it mean? So I want to start this morning, just start thinking about that, and then we'll come back to this verse. If you go look in Hebrew scriptures, in Hebrew scriptures, there's multiple names for God. Um, but one name tends to surface more than, than others. Um, over 6,000 times in Hebrew scriptures, more than all the other names of God combined, we get this name where God reveals himself um, to Moses. 
And if you know Moses' story, Moses was out in the wilderness. He, he sees this burning bush, and so he walks over to the burning bush, and, and God speaks to him from within the burning bush. He takes off his shoes because he knows that he's standing on holy ground. And God says to him, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, coming from a polytheistic, which means there was multiple gods at that time, coming from a polytheistic world, Moses says, well, who, who's telling me to go see Pharaoh? I mean, who's telling me to go talk to the most powerful person that I could talk to and tell him what to do? And God reveals himself to Moses. Now, we don't really know how to pronounce this word, nor do we really know how to spell this word. But the best that we can come up with is this word that you see on the screen, Yahweh. Now, the reason that we don't know it is because about two centuries after Christ was born, rabbis were so concerned about misusing the name of God that they didn't want to pronounce it. They didn't want to, they didn't want to write it. They were so serious about the, the severity of this commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. But when Moses says to God, I mean, when, what God says to Moses, I am who I am. So in the Hebrew understanding of that is the Hebrew word for to be. So I think God was saying, I am the source of existence. Everything derives itself from me. My name is holy. My name is, is hallowed. You remember Jesus teaching when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. We said the prayer earlier. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Two different pictures, but the same result is this this holiness of God, this hallowed place of of God's name. So much so that you may not realize this, Jewish people today will still not say the generic name for God. They will not write the generic name for God. This is how they will write it. You can look at the screen. They will not put the three letters of God because they're so concerned with misusing the name of God. They don't want to take God's name in vain. So what does that mean? Well, to take means to use, and vain is something superficial, something false, something fake. And so we don't want to use God's name in a, in a fake way. God's name is supposed to be hallowed and holy, not superficial or trivial. So it becomes more than just simply not saying a cuss word. It's more significant than just that. Don't get me wrong. I think we should, be aware, we should be aware of the words that we say. I mean, if we're honest today, when you hit your hand with a hammer, you're not praying. Uh, you know, when you slice your golf shot, uh, you're, you're not going to God in prayer at that moment. Um, we have to be careful of the words that we say. I would encourage you, as your pastor, to, to be cautious in the words you say, and the things that you post. I, I, I get, I say to Lydia often about OMG. Do we use God's name trivially? When God says we choose it holy. Even Jesus did not use the full name, of, the best we can tell, didn't use the full name of Yahweh the best we could possibly tell would maybe two times in the New Testament. The New Testament is written in Greek. So if you take the New Testament Greek back to the Hebrew, um, Jesus 
uses partial reference two different times. But we can see just by Jesus' behavior how significant this is. But then I push you to stop and go, but do you realize that the third commandment, the scripture continues on. It doesn't stop. It just do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Look at what it says in the rest of Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So this is a stern warning to us to not trivialize his name. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that we should teach our children not to say the particular cuss word that's in all of our heads. But I think the intent of this commandment is much bigger than that. I think the intent of this commandment was invoking God's name where God would not want his name invoked. Using or, or, or acting self-centered but yet using God's name. To accomplish my self-centered motives. And it doesn't take us long to, to see that play out in the world that we live. We can probably go back to fairly recent history where pastors have stood before congregations like yourselves and said, Okay, I've got a really good investment scheme. All right, so all I need you to do is to give me your money. And I'm going to take your money and we're going to invest it. And then lo and behold, that pastor is no longer to be seen and, and heard from, and he has taken advantage of the vulnerable people of his congregation in the name of God. Or terrorist. I mean, you don't stop and think about the fact that, that Muslims, Judaism, Christianity, they, they're all monotheistic religions that trace their origin back to God. And so... When terrorist attacks are done, killed, they're doing that in the name of God. Or Christians killing other people in the name of God. And we can rationalize and we can say, yeah, that's a rogue pastor going bad. Or that's a, 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 a radical Islamic or, or, or terrorist activity, things like that. But see, what I want you to challenge yourself is don't, don't give yourself permission just to accept those as examples. Challenge yourself to ask yourself today, how do you represent God? How do you represent God in the world that you live in? See, the reality is sometimes with our words, we actually push people away from Jesus. At 3 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to have a connectional charge conference. Most of you don't even know what that is probably, but a connectional charge conference. We have nine United Methodist churches who are going to gather in this place, and we're going to conduct our church business. I can assure you that somewhere along the way, we're going to hear, if not from the stage, but we'll hear in just the, the scuttle that goes on in the room how we as a church need to reach younger people. Um, every conference that I go to, we... We talk about that in the United Methodist Church. We need to reach younger people. And it's not just a United Methodist problem. It's a, it's a church-wide problem. We need to reach younger people. But here's the challenge. When you go and talk to younger people and you say, why don't you want to be involved in church? And it's because the younger people say they see the older generation professing one thing and living something different. Reminds me of a famous quote by Gandhi that said, I would have been a Christian if it weren't for the Christians that I knew. How do you represent 
God. Are there times in your life where you claim to be a Christ follower, but your life, your actions, your words actually push people away from Jesus rather than draw them towards Jesus? And my guess is every single person in this room is guilty of that, if we're honest with ourselves. See, our desire should be that our lives live out what it says in Psalm 19. It says this in Psalm 19. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray with my children, or I prayed with Latham every night when he was younger, and I pray with Lydia now every night when we get ready to go to bed, and that is our prayer. Part of our prayer is, Lord, let everything that we do please you tomorrow. Every word we say, everything we do. That's our desire. Do we live it every day? No. Thankful for the grace of God. But that's our desires, that we, we please God with our words and our actions. And when we do that, when we live this verse out, we begin to draw people in to the kingdom of God. So what I want you to think about this morning is I want you to take that awareness and now let's think about the words that we say to ourselves. See, we've talked about the words that we say to our family. We've talked about the words that we say to the places that we go and the schools that we're in and the places of recreation. We even talked about it in politics, uh, that there's no part of our life that is absent of this scripture verse. But think about it in the words that you say to yourself. Are they life-giving or are they destructive? I had somebody last week walk up to me and said that you don't realize that this one verse is beginning to change my life. And I said, tell me more. And they said that in the past when they have done dumb things or stupid things, they would say to themselves, you're an idiot. Or there was something to that effect. And they said, now, in light of the scripture, when they, say, when they do something dumb or they do something stupid, they speak words of grace into their own life rather than words of destruction. Think about for yourself, do you speak words of grace into your own life? Because what happens is, is we start most of our conversations with, I can't. And we don't actually believe that what God is calling us to do is possible. We don't actually believe what God is calling the church to do is possible because we start our words with, I can't, or I don't deserve, or I'm not worthy. We bought into something somebody told us 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Somebody said that we weren't going to amount to anything, and we actually sit here today and we believe it. Or we walk past a mirror and we see ourselves as the fat, ugly person that our brother or sister told us we were when we were 8 years old. I don't know how you speak to yourself. I just know that when people come and sit and talk to me as a pastor, I hear words like unloving, unkind, unforgiving, uninteresting, unintelligent, and about any other unword that you can think of. So I want you to think about the words that you speak into your own life. And then the real power comes 
when we begin to think about the words that God speaks. The words that God speaks to us. See, God uses words that build us up, doesn't tear us down. God uses words that bring life and not death. Do y'all realize this morning we serve a God who speaks? Amen. The Bible bears witness to this. We serve a God who speaks. I mean, I have people who come up to me uh, after last week. Somebody walked up and said, I'm the one that you preached that message for. If that's ever happened to you in any sermon by any preacher, that's God speaking into your life. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you and pushing you. I've sat here and heard before, sat here and and listened to the choir sing a song, and I'm moved and my spirit is connected to the Spirit of God. That's God speaking in my life because our God speaks. I mean, think about the creation story. When God created, how did God create? He said, let there be light, and there was light. If you go look at the Abraham and Sarah story in Genesis, they're, they're older. They're getting ready for retirement. They kind of know what they're going to do with life, and God says, I want you to go somewhere else. And Abraham's like, okay, where do you want me to go? And God says, well, I'll show you where I want you to go. But here's my promise to you is that You're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. God speaks and brings new realities into life. Moses' story that I told you earlier, when God speaks into Moses' life and tells him to go see Pharaoh and and to tell Pharaoh to let his people, what's Moses' response? Moses' response is, but I stutter. I, I, I don't talk well. And God says, who do you think gave you words? Who do you think gave you the power to speak? I'll put words in your mouth. God speaks into our lives over and over and over again. Jeremiah, the Israelites were in exile, and Jeremiah is talking to them, and they feel like there's this hopeless situation. God has abandoned them, and in Jeremiah 31, God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. Isaiah is talking to the Israelites. He's criticizing the Israelites for their social practices and the way that they're living and and so they feel like they're they're caught in sin and God speaks into Isaiah and says in Isaiah 1 says though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are as red as crimson they shall be like wool God speaks and we are meant to listen James tells us quick to listen we are meant to listen to God there's power in God's speech I want you to look at what it says in John, John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his home among us, full of grace and truth. Don't you think that's an odd name for Jesus? The Word. Why not a Word? But he says, The Word. See, I think John, what John's trying to communicate in this passage is John knows that God has tried to communicate to mankind over and over and over again. He did it through the lawgivers. He did it through the prophets. He's done it through the poets. He's done it through the wisdom writers. And humankind just doesn't get it. God is longing to reveal himself to us, who he is and who we're called to be. God is longing to... uh, 
to change human's existence. So how does he do that? He takes the word and he wraps it up in human flesh so that he can live among us so that we can see who God is and we can see what God calls us to be. That we can watch him. And so God's word brings new realities to us. God's word brings new existence. God's word uh, changes things. All of those things that go through our mind, all of the old tapes that people have told us about ourselves and who we are and what we're supposed to be, all of those are erased, the word says. And a new creation is formed. So Jesus comes, and what does Jesus do? Jesus looks for the downtrodden. Jesus looks for the, for the lowly. Jesus reaches out to the tax collectors and to the fishermen. Jesus catches a woman in adultery and he sets them free. That's the new existence. And then he comes to his life, the end of his life, and he ends his life on a cross. Now, I think in the church, we have all these great theories of atonement, if you've ever heard that phrase before, theories of atonement. We try to make the cross a formula. I invite you this morning to think of it as poetry. Because every time I think of the cross, I see different things. This past week, I watched all the things play out on the news. And what I see through the cross is brokenness in our world. Brokenness in humanity. But then there are times, if I'm honest, when I look at the cross and I'm convicted in some of the things that I'm doing, maybe some of the words that I'm saying, and when I look at the cross, I see forgiveness. There's times that I look at the cross and I see love and compassion. There's times I look at the cross and I see how much God loves me. Several years ago, we were asleep and we heard this cry from upstairs. Both of our children had rooms upstairs. And so when the cry came, if you're, if you're a parent, you know this. You can tell the difference between a there's a bug in my room cry and something's wrong cry. And this was a something's wrong cry. We woke up in the dead of night, heard this scream from Lydia, and we bolted. And so I ran. I, I, I probably ran faster than I have in quite a few years. I ran, and I, I leaped up the steps, and I got to the top of the landing. And there was Latham, my oldest, laying on the floor, thriving in pain, grasping his chest. We didn't know what was wrong. In the chaos of that moment, we... We tried to figure out how to call 911. Claire tried to call. She couldn't get it to go through. And so then I had to stop and call. And and all of this was going on. He's screaming in pain. Can't catch his breath. And so I lay down and I kneel beside him and I pray. And I'm like, and I know this theologically. All the preachers in the room, this is bad theological prayer. I get this. I was like, God, please don't take him. But I wasn't praying as a preacher that moment. I was praying as a dad. And I said, please don't take him. I said, take me. Please, just don't do this. What I know 
from the cross is that's how much God loves me. Because I would give my life for my kids in a second. Blink of an eye, no question. And so when I look at the cross, I see the poetry of the fact that God says, you matter. You're worth it to me. You're loved. But the cross wasn't the final act. See, the resurrection says all of those old tapes that you're listening to, meaning all those things that people have said to you in the past, they don't have the final word. Because the word has the final word. The word has the power over human existence. The word has the power to change your life. And then all of a sudden you understand all of those unwords, they don't apply to you. Because you're loved. You're forgiven. You matter. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for your life. Folks, that's the power of the word. To be able to change earthly realities. The power of the word to be able to transform your life and your existence when you trust him. And this kind of word requires a response. Three simple letters. Y-E-S. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I recognize you have the ability to come in and change me. Yes, Lord, I will do what you ask me to do. Yes, Lord, I will allow you to work through me. But we have to claim it and we have to live it. And this is where it comes back to the original part of the message. And for me, this becomes part of the greatest power of this verse. How are the people who this morning do not care about Jesus Christ going to hear the word. If we don't live this out, how are they going to hear? You know, you hear the old saying before, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. How are they going to hear the word of God? The word that has the ability to transform reality and change existence. How are they going to hear the word of God if we don't live this out? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I want to do something a little different. 
I invite you this morning that if if this message, meaning this series, if this passage of Scripture has convicted you of the words that you say in your family systems, of the words that you say in in the places that you go, in the words that you represent God in the world that we live in, I invite you to come to the altar if you feel so led. Lord, I I hope you recognize that the altar is open each and every week. But this is an opportunity for us to say, God, we're going to live this out. I pray for us as a, as a group. I pray that we can, we can take this passage and we can go into the world that we live in and we can represent God because God is holy and hallowed. And I pray that we can understand the significance of every word that we say as a witness to be aligned with what it is that we say we believe. I invite you this morning to simply say yes. There may be some in this room that need to say yes for the very first time. But then there are many of us who may have said yes many years ago. But when we look at our lives, we're not lined up with the word. And so I invite you this morning just to allow the spirit to move and be and work in each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.